The Lessons Learned for Vets podcast is proud to be brought to you by AFMA, the American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association. Established in 1879, they are the longest standing nonprofit association empowering military families with affordable financial solutions for generations. Offering life insurance, wealth management, mortgages, survivor assistance, and other benefits, AFMA is here to support you through every stage of life. AFMA is dedicated to helping service members be financially and logistically ready for life after the military. To support you in this process, AFMA would like to offer you their free downloadable transition timeline, a step-by-step guide to help you create a comprehensive military transition plan. Let AFMA help you get ready for your next step by visiting afma.com backslash LL4V. That's A-A-F-M-A-A.com slash LL, the number four, V or clicking the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast, your military transition debrief from the veteran mentors who've gone before you. My name is Lori Norris, and I've been teaching veterans how to successfully navigate their military transition since 2005. I'm a civilian who speaks the language of all branches of the U.S. military, and I am on a mission to educate veterans in the job search marketing process. Sit back and enjoy the military transition hot washes and after action reports of your fellow veterans. You may just learn some lessons that smooth your own transition path. To me, hiring a professional is worth it. You know, if that's where you think you need to be. I never regretted it for a second. And the value I got out of that experience far exceeded the cost that I put into it. So invest in yourself. You hear people say that all the time. I've never hesitated to spend money to invest in my education, my training, in this case, my career transition. And it it paid off for me. On today's episode of the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast, I'm welcoming Adam Getz. Adam served 20 years in the U.S. Army, first as a musician, then as a project manager, coordinating national concert tours for the Army Field Band. When Adam left the Army in April of 2021, he spent a year as a senior project manager in pharmaceutical contract manufacturing. Today, he's a senior project manager in supply chain operations at Indiana University Health. In our episode today, Adam not only shares how he made such a big pivot in his career and how he figured out his transferable skills, but he also has a very interesting perspective on the common statistic of veterans leaving their first job out of the military within that first year. I also recommend you head to our YouTube channel to hear some of Adam's lessons about the biggest surprises and struggles he faced in his first 18 months working in the private sector. Well, Adam, I am excited to have you on the show. I know we've talked and known each other for a few years now, but I'm excited to have you with me today. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Lori. So, you know, we always start with the transition story, right? Because everyone's is a little bit different. So I want to hear about your transition, kind of how you prepared and how you really made that pretty big shift that we talked about in the bio. Yeah. So uh, when I joined the Army, I thought I would do one term and leave. And um, when I ended up deciding to make it a career, um, I, I said, I'm going to do 20 years and then I want to have a second career after that. So that was always my focus. Uh, so when I 
hit around 18 years of service. I just jumped into transition with two feet. Uh, I attended tap class, um, you know, took LinkedIn seriously. I attended every course that was offered through tap and all the other various, you know, transition service companies. I went to networking events, attended webinars, you name it. Uh, and I collected, connected with a lot of people and, and resources to just gain as much knowledge as I could. Um, and then also worked on a few certifications that were really helpful uh, in my job search. So um, someone accused me of being an over-preparer, which I took as a compliment because I don't think you can really be over-prepared to make the transition. But uh, all that work really did work out well for me. And you said about two years before your transition. So you really kind of stuck with that 18 to 24 month that everybody recommends is your minimum of preparation, right? Yeah. I mean, I had started an MBA years ago when I thought I was going to get out of the army and I didn't. Um, and I had that sort of in my pocket. So I felt like I had a little bit of a, a head start. Um, and right around 24 months out, yeah, I was I was all in. And all of that networking and reaching out to resources and going to networking events and such, you and I met. So you and I met earlier in, in your transition when you were kind of working on translating your skills from like the army in and you were in the music and really industry in the army, right? You started out as a musician, as we said, went into um, being a coordinator and you were really hesitant to about, the, do I really have project management skills? And we so we talked a lot about translating that. So Kind of um, what changed your mind that, yes, I do have project management skills and that you could translate that experience? Yeah, translate, of course, is the key word. And I hadn't really figured all of that out very well at that point because I was thinking, you know, OK, well, we do it this way in the army. Is this just an army thing? You know, is this is just just the army way? Um, and And I really didn't fully understand that. But. I connected with uh, other project managers. I, I was doing that networking. I was doing those informational interviews. Um, and I, I gained some mentors along the way, some of whom were project managers. Um, and and we just talked through, you know, what we did, you know, what do I do? What do you do? You know, and yeah, absolutely. It was project management. So it was just a matter of translating those terms. Um, and when I learned the project management terms and what project managers do in the civilian world, oh my gosh, I absolutely do this, you know? So um, it was really important to get that insight through uh, the people that that were veterans and, and some weren't veterans, but are now project managers and kind of walked through a list of the things I do and how I do it. And they're like, well, this translates to this and this is really this. Um, but also earning the PMP project management professional certification helped quite a bit too, because I could say, oh, I see how this works in the civilian world or what this is called. I do it a little differently, but it's the same toolkit and the same skill set, if you will. Same concepts. You mentioned um, informational interviews. Like, how did you find people to connect with and who did you ask to do informational interviews with? Like, How many did you do? I'm not sure how many. I'm going to guess maybe around 100. I would go to LinkedIn. You know, I was stationed in Maryland at Fort Meade at the time um, and was planning to move here to Indianapolis. Um, so I'd go to LinkedIn and search for um, project managers, even operations managers, vice presidents, all sorts of titles that had anything to do with project management. 
in the Indianapolis area who were veterans. And in LinkedIn, you check like former employer, like Marine Corps, Army, right? So I would do that. And, and there are really quite a few people. So I would send a note to people showing commonality. Hey, I see you are in the military. I'm about to leave. We both have project management in common. Uh, you know, let's connect here on LinkedIn. And, and most of those people will accept, some will write notes back. And then once, you know, you gain a little bit of, you gain the connection, then I'd say, you know, would you be open to chatting for 20 minutes? Um, and I bought the book, The 20 Minute Networking Meeting, which everyone should buy. Uh, it's on Amazon and it's a step-by-step guide. You know, here's how you have a meeting like that. And it worked like a charm. So I met a lot of people in that way. And what was really cool was, you know, not only meeting people, but I developed some relationships with people organically. Um, and some of those folks are, are friends now and some continue to be mentors. So uh, it's a great tool that's accessible to everyone and and you should do it for sure. Did that, did that come natural to you, like reach out to strangers and ask them to have a meeting with you? No, no, I'm an introvert. <laughs> and so that was not easy. And uh but I, I learned to do it. And, you know, at first you feel like you're imposing on people, or at least I felt that way. Once you start doing it, you realize people are, you know, eager to help. And if they respond, then they're they're certainly willing to help. I have a friend who said, you know, I went to Michigan to get my MBA. And one of their selling points is you have this incredible network, this alumni network that will help you in your career. And he said he went through that and realized, wait a minute, I'm a veteran. There isn't a bigger alumni network than that, you know? Yeah. So great, great advice. And once you you do some of those meetings and, and kind of get in the rhythm, get to know people, um, it's not as awkward as it feels at first. And you don't feel like you're putting people out. So you've now been in project management in the corporate world and you've been in project management in the military. What do you see as some of the biggest differences? What okay, Let's talk about your learning curve of making that transition from the military project management to private sector. Yeah, well, for one, there's no rank. So, you know, <laughs> you know, if if you're managing a project and someone's not doing maybe what they're supposed to do in the military, you can either apply pressure via your rank or go to their supervisor. And there's always that rank structure to ensure people do things, right? It's not really so cut and dried in the the private sector. And most most project managers are individual contributors, right? So no one reports directly to the project manager, but you're leading projects of cross-functional teams and and they do need to answer not answer to you, but they need to do the work that's agreed upon and meet the deadlines and so forth. And, and sometimes people just don't do their work in the civilian sector. And sometimes there just aren't any consequences. So it just happens more, you know, yeah. that's not as common in the military. Thank goodness. You have to be creative. And, and I always tried to build relationships and foster those relationships and in the hopes that people would be, you know, more eager to work with you and, and get their work done. And, you know, um, what I call the nuclear option of, you know, emailing their boss might get that person to do that task that time, but it might damage the relationship moving forward. So I think relationships um, are important, but also that expert knowledge, showing them that you know what you're doing, you're a professional, kind of instills a little bit of accountability uh, inherently. But maybe the biggest difference is budgeting. All sorts of people, including myself, write on their resume when they're leaving the military, manage millions of dollars, right? And that's true, but 
it's different because the military functions on more of an allowance. (laughs) You know, in the private sector, companies need to make money. And so that is a driving factor. Now, it might be the end of the fiscal year in the military and you're spending everything you can in the hopes you'll get that budget next year in the private sector when a quarter's closing or the fiscal year's closing, people are pushing to get work done to send invoices out, you know, so uh, very, very different dynamic and, you know, something that that people can adapt to pretty quickly, but something to, to think about, you know, in terms of managing money versus kind of earning money for the company. Did uh, did you feel, though, for the most part, did your skills translate or transfer over? Did you feel pretty well prepared? Were there some gaps of things that you were missing that you had to go out and, and pursue certifications or training in? I sort of did my training and certifications before I left. I earned the PMP. I also earned uh, Lean Six Sigma Greenbelt, which is just a very good certification to have because a lot of it's just business practice and business education. Um, So I was pretty equipped on the education and training side. Um, In terms of learning, I I don't know. Yeah, there's, it's, it's going to take a while to learn. It took me a while to learn to work in an environment that was different, but I don't know that there was more I could have done to prepare for it. Right. Like to some extent, you're, you're just going to be kind of a, you know, a stranger in a foreign land, (laughs) you know, and that's okay. That's just, part of the dynamic. Fortunately, my boss was not in the military, but his dad was a career Marine Corps veteran. And and so he kind of, he had a little bit of like military knowledge. And I asked what probably would have sounded like pretty crazy questions to other people, but he kind of understood and he was uh, really gracious about that. So that was a, a nice touch. Yeah. And I think that you got lucky that you had a boss that kind of understood that. But I, I think that sometimes our ego gets in the way and we don't want to say, Oh, I don't know what that means. Or I don't know how to do that. Or I don't, can you explain that? We, we don't, um, we, we don't ask the questions that we should, cause we don't want to look like an idiot, right? Like just for, let's be yeah. honest. So, and I think you've got to, you've got to put that ego aside. We talk about that a lot in the transition process of like putting that ego aside and being willing to ask the question to like raise the hand and say, Hey, I need some clarification. And, you know, chances are there are other people in the room that feel the same way and will appreciate that you raised that hand and called it out. Right. Yeah. I learned pretty quickly because I didn't want to, to, say I understand and not know. I, I just was, I wanted to be really honest and transparent. And I learned pretty early on, I think people think that if they say, I don't know, people will think they're stupid, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I found is when you say, I don't understand, people actually stop and listen and they actually really respect it, you know? That's not really part of the culture I experienced in the army. You know, if you're the boss, you have to kind of look like you know everything and no one wants to not know. and it just, that's fine. That's the military. But, you know, I said, I don't know, people would actually kind of back off a little bit and say, oh, okay, well, let's talk it through. And they would respect you for it. So uh, really no reason not to do that. And you're going to learn, people will gain respect for you, and you'll just have a better way of working. And it also builds that rapport and helps that relationship building too, because it gets them to slow down and interact and engage with you and, and probably give you a better explanation from their perspective than if you had said, oh, yeah, I get it. And then you got to go scramble and research all on your own, right? Yeah. And I, some of the people I worked with said, wow, you're, 
you're the best project manager. I've been here for three years. And I was like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing here. None of this makes any sense to me. But <laughs> I guess asking questions helped. And, you know, uh, that humility goes a really long way, Lori. I mean, it, it just cannot be overstated. Like, if you've got kind of that military bravado and whatever, just just check it. Because once you start, it's people will know you're a veteran. Maybe, maybe they yeah. won't. Um, it, they might be grateful. They might be indifferent. It doesn't, it really doesn't matter. And that's tough to see while you're still in the military because you live that lifestyle, but none of it is going to matter that much once you get to there. So leave it alone and find some humility. Yeah. And I think that that's the best way to learn quicker is to ask those questions, to be willing to say, I don't understand. I feel like, you know, yes, you can go out and do your own research and learn on your own, but I think talking to like your, your boss, your supervisor, your peers and getting their insider information within the, within the company, bring that together. And, and then, you know, like you said, you, you come across as the best project manager because you've got both of those working together, right? Yeah, absolutely. So when you and I had a conversation preparing for today, we talked about paid and free services. So you chose to pay a career coach to really help you kind of hone your search, but you did your own resume. And so tell me your thought process, kind of making that choice, uh, that decision on, am I going to pay for it? Am I going to do it free? And, and would you do it the same if you had to do it all over again? I think I would for the most part. Um, uh, You know, like I mentioned earlier, I attended every resource I can find, you know, and some of them I, I attended multiple times just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Right. And a lot of those are great. And a lot of them are really introductory, like the very beginning, the very basics of, of transition. And after a while, you know, I realized when I would sit through a webinar and, and I didn't learn anything new that I had sort of exhausted those resources. You know, for me, it wasn't, I want to be good enough to make the transition or just find a job. I wanted to nail it. You know, I wanted to have options. I wanted to to come in strong. And so I I had listened to a different podcast and and heard this career coach. Anyway, uh, I hired him. He was great. He taught me a lot about networking, a lot of the networking I mentioned earlier. He, He had some really keen tips. He really pushed me to do so many informational interviews a week, it worked really, really well. So rather than branding myself as, you know, hey, I'm a veteran, I want to go work, he kind of positioned me, no, you're a professional project manager with X number of years experience, and you're going to go do it in the civilian sector now, you know, so I kind of gained that mindset from him. It was highly effective, you know, I, I, Sometimes I see people say, hey, I'm leaving the military. I appreciate your support. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? If you have a job, like, no, go get it, you know, go earn it. And and that was my drive. I'm not going to leave it to chance. I'm going to do everything I can to be in the best possible position. And then I, I went and yeah, I paid some money out of pocket. And one of my good friends actually said, what are you doing? There's so many free resources. I said, well, you, you're already out. You have a job and and you did well, but... I feel like there's more I can do and and I'm going to 
I'm going to exhaust those resources. So I definitely paid out of pocket. I started early in the process on the resume, Lori. You helped me right off the bat. And then I showed it to a thousand people and I felt like it was in pretty good shape. By the time, you know, I refined it over and over and over again. That's something else I hear in the transition space is don't worry about the resume early. I see their point, but for me, getting in early and spending time with it and revisiting it and showing it to people and getting different perspectives really helped me, you know, get it to where I thought it was in good shape. But if you're waiting till later, you might not have that same opportunity. To me, hiring a professional is worth it. You know, if that's where you think you need to be, I never regretted it for a second. And the value I got out of that experience far exceeded the cost that I put into it. So invest in yourself. You hear people say that all the time. I've never hesitated to spend money to invest in my education, my training, in this case, my career transition, and it it paid off for me. This is a, this is a long-standing debate in the military transition space, right? Free or paid. And um I'm it's hard for me to be a neutral party because I do offer paid services, but I offer a lot of free services too. Um but I think there is a stigma. Like you said, your friend's like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You know, use the free stuff. And I think it's a, it's a very much an individual choice. Um, Like I, I can change my oil in my car. I'm I'm the daughter of a mechanic. I know how to do it. I don't want to, it's 105 outside. I'm not going to crawl around underneath my car, right? I have other things that I need to do. And so I, I always, you know, everybody can, write their resume, right? It's like ratatouille, everyone can cook, but everyone can write their resume. But are you are you marketing yourself in the best, most effective manner? And if you have the time like you did to talk to people about it, show it, you know, you and I sat down and a free call and I went through it with you. And um, I think that was way back before I started the podcast, even that you and I met. And so, you know, use those resources, but you, like you said, you've got to take charge of your own situation, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I just don't know why there's that, you know, the stigma, but um, stop judging people for investing in themselves. I guess that's what I want to put out there is let's, let's stop that stigma. Well, and, and there's entirely too much all of one thing or all of the other, you know, I mean, not all free resources are good and all pay resources are bad. You know, there's some of both. And I, I, there are some great organizations that provided some great expertise. You gave me free expertise. You're an expert. It was really, really helpful, you know, but we paint these broad brushstrokes. So, you know, so look, some of the, some of the transition advice, some of the information I got, it wasn't bad. It was just too basic. I had heard it before. Some of it was bad. Honestly, looking back, I heard some really bad information. And in the more time you spend in that space, the more you're able to sort it out. It's all pretty foreign at first, but you you are able to sort it out over time. So there's some people out there with some big hearts and there's some companies with the best of intentions, but that doesn't necessarily mean what they're offering for free is going to be of value to you, you know? Right. And yep. even that's a, you know, uh, a detail. Not everything they do is bad. Not everything they do is good. Some of it's good for some, some, you know, it's not all cut and dried like the military is mo- most of the time, you know, and you have to kind of spend some time in that space to sort out what's, what's right for you. 
Yeah. And I, I think you're, you're right in terms of like, it's an individual choice, right? Just like it, just like transition is individual. Um, and so you've got to do your due diligence on the resources that you use. Cause you know, not, not all paid services are good either. Right. So you've got to figure out if it's right for you um, and do that research, get gather your resources, get referrals, whether it's free or paid um, and then own it. Right. You've got to take charge of it. So, um, you know, you can go into that process of paying someone thinking, oh, I'm just going to hand it over and I'm not going to be an active participant. And it's not going to be nearly as good as if you take charge of it and you go after it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I just wanted to kind of go through that because I thought you had an interesting perspective on the whole process. So it is a conversation I try to stay away from, but every once in a while I wait in there and give my two cents. But um, <laughs> so I, I think that that's really it, it's an individual choice. And that's the bottom line is there's no one right way. There's no one right decision. Um, and so let everybody make the decision for themselves and stop shaming people for making their own choices, whether it's to go with the free resume or to pay, pay for a career coach, you know, just let, let everyone kind of own their own thing. Right. So, um, I remember you and I talked about your, your salary, right? So let's, let's talk about money in a different way. So you are, one of your biggest questions is like, what am I worth out there in the market? Right. Um, so how did you, answer that question for yourself in this process and get, get prepared to talk money as you're out in the interview? Yeah. So it, it was definitely a question I was afraid to ask because it's not talked about a lot and it's, it's kind of sensitive. And um, so I had gained enough rapport with some people that someone else brought it up. And in fact, this was, I think, September of 2020, um, you know, COVID was still pretty strong, but some restrictions had lifted. And I was talking to my wife and it's like, man, I feel like I'm like a little bit of a rut. You know, I want to really accelerate this transition. And, you know, she said, I think you need to go to Indianapolis and meet some of these people that you've, you've talked to, you know? And I said, yeah, you're right. I'm going to do that. So I booked a trip to fly out here by myself. Uh, and I just started scheduling meetings with a lot of these people I had connected with. And it was great to meet them in person and it accelerated some of the relationships and the one guy who was, um, he was a Navy veteran. He's worked for a corporation that's here in Indianapolis since he got out. He's done very well for himself. He actually brought it up and he said, what do you think you should be asking for in salary? And I said, well, I don't know, but I think it's around this number. And he said, you should be asking for a range from here to there, which was considerably higher than the number that I had in mind. <laughs> yeah. And I said, Oh, I, I didn't really expect that. That's higher than I thought. He said, that's where you are and that's what you should be targeting. And so, wow. Okay. So I fell into that maybe because we had developed a relationship, maybe because we were one-on-one, -on -one, you know, but you know, we had gained some trust in one another. And I think this was a guy that saw that I had some promise and he wanted to help me out. And he was, actually hoping to bring me on this company, but the, there wasn't a position available when I was transitioning. But yeah, so I took that number and, and I started kind of refocusing on that. So when I did get to the place where I was interviewing and I had a few offers, you know, and that question came up, I was able to say, you know, this is what I'm looking at. And, you know, the first offer I got was within that 
that range. And had I not hired that career coach for significantly less than what I made (laughs) a difference in salary there, by the way, um, and networked and met these people um, and been lucky enough for this guy to bring it up because I didn't, um, I, I might might have started off significantly lower. And by the way, where you land when you first get out, to some extent, sets a trajectory for your career growth. Not to say you won't jump up and pay from one job to another, but it's a little bit tougher, I think. So that conversation with him really set the course for me. And and I was fortunate to have a job offer before I left the Army. So I knew where I was going. And I knew what salary I was starting at. But my advice to other people would be find a way to bring it up. You know, you can even preface it by saying, I know this is difficult to talk about and I'm not asking what you make, but can you give me an idea of what a job title in this market might expect to get paid? And some people might not answer and and some others will. But if you ask the question enough, you'll start to kind of get an understanding of maybe where you belong. Yeah. So, you know, use those informational interviews and don't forget to ask that question. Like you said, I know it's uncomfortable and people don't love to talk about it, but I like how you said it. Like, I'm not asking you to tell me what you make, but what's a range. And then also make sure they have a copy of your resume or they've seen your experience so that they can kind of say, okay, well, based on how you've presented yourself here, this is where I think you fit in that range. So use those informational interviews just to do some kind of, you know, boots on the ground research, if you will, but then also sites like, um, you know, salary.com, glassdoor.com, indeed.com slash salary. Those are all good places. And I, I always recommend a range. I did a episode back in season one with Mark Holman. I can't remember what number it was, but it was, we talked a lot about negotiating salary, answering the salary question, and you've got to be ready to answer that question. If they say, what are your ideas on salary? You're eventually going to have to answer that. And so tell me this, if I, if I would had, if you had lowballed yourself and went, you know, that 20,000 less than what you really could have commanded, would they have said, Oh, come on, Adam, we need to pay you more. Or would they have gone? Yes, we got him for a bargain. Right. No question about it. And that salary question, like in the classes I took, you you hear, keep pushing it back, keep pushing it back. And I thought, okay, that's what I'll do. You may not have that option. You know, that that may come up soon. It has always come up sooner than I've wanted. And, and as much as I've tried to delay it and have at times, at some point you have to ask the question and some won't even talk to you until you give them a number. Yeah. I, I interviewed or applied for one. They wrote back and said, give me a range. If you don't give me a range, we're done here. And so I gave them a range and they said, we're offering you, or this job range is like 56 to $60,000 a year. And I said, you want a PMP certified project manager? Now it was for a university. And a lot of times people will take jobs like that to get the education at no cost. So that might work out for them, but that's not what I was looking for. So be prepared to have that salary conversation. And you also mentioned having your resume early. That's another reason to start the resume early. And I know that, I don't know if it's still floating around, but for a while people were saying, you don't need a resume, just network. And that's not true. That's not true at all. So start early, get to know your resume, you know, refine it over time, 
But even if it's rough and you're a little bit early on, at least people can understand where you are and say, well, I don't expect this to be a perfect resume because they've got another six months or a year, but at least I can see what they've done and maybe guide that salary conversation. Then they can give you that insider feedback on, is this a resume of a candidate that you would even consider for this kind of role? So there's so much you can ask those informational interviews when you go into those conversations really well prepared with your resume and, you know, kind of having your questions prepared. I really like you talking about the outline that you gained from the book. What was the name of the book again? The 20-Minute Networking Meeting. Okay. Yeah. So um, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. I have this beautiful lady who does my show notes. I don't know if you know her, Adam, but uh, so <laughs> so I owe Adam because um, he introduced me to his wife. And now Jeannie is a, a huge member of my team, very valuable member of my team. And uh, so she'll have to write up Adam's show notes. So we'll see if she is nice to him or mean to him the day that she writes up the show notes, but we will have those linked anyway. So I promise <laughs> she'll put that in there. So, <laughs> all right. So um, the last question I want to talk to you about, we talked about it in the bio, you've already changed jobs one time in the first what year and a half out of the military. Um, so you moved to us from the first role you were in, you stayed about a year, right? Almost exactly a year. And then you, now you're in a second role. So you, you have a really unique perspective on kind of why veterans leave that first job at such a high rate. And so let's talk about that perspective and also what you learned in leaving that first job. Yeah, I think for me, I was really hung up on that thing that you hear, you know, X number of veterans leave within the first year of employment. And that certainly means that they didn't prepare well, or they didn't find the right fit, or they didn't find what they love. And so I did have kind of that stigma in my mind, if that's the right way to say it, about I don't want to leave before a year. I want to get to at least a year. And I was really hung up on that. Um, and and ultimately for me, the job was a great learning experience. I had a great boss. I worked with great people, but it was a meat grinder. And I worked a ton of hours and the pressure was very high. And it, it just wasn't something I was willing to do for a long time. So I finally decided, you know, it's time to, to look for another role. Um, and so for me, having gone through all that, it, it really made me think about, you know, what does the job need to be? And another one of the things you hear in transition a lot is, you know, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And, you know, you it's almost like you have to go find this thing. And, and it's like, OK, great. But that's not going to work for everyone. That's just not realistic. But if you can find something you're good at and maybe you enjoy on some level, then do it and go enjoy your evenings and your weekends doing the things that you want to do. You know, yeah. I, the job doesn't have to be a passion. You know, if, if you found that great, you know, for me, I found a job that I can do well, that suits my skill set. I bring value to, to my employer. Um, and, you know, I get satisfaction out of completing tasks and finishing projects and working with teams and, you know, and I work and then I go home. It's not a lifestyle for me. So I left at that one year mark. It was it was kind of tough to leave because you kind of have that military idea of loyalty and so forth. But it was the right move for me. And I landed in a role that's great. I'm really, really happy where I am now. It suits my skill set. 
The culture's great. I have the best boss I could possibly ask for. Uh, and, and it worked out. So the the one year thing was really something I was unnecessarily hung up on. So looking at that, wow, it was a great stepping stone. I learned so much. Uh, and and it wasn't a bad thing, you know, this career journey that everyone is on individually isn't necessarily some straight line from <laughs> beginning to end, it might yeah. move around a little. I don't regret it one bit. If if I'm counted in a statistic, then uh, okay, fine. That doesn't matter to me. You know, play the long game. You know, look definitely look for that first job when you're leaving the military, but don't don't look at it like you're going to land there and be there like you spent 20 years in the military. You know, play the long game and and do what's right for you. And you know, again, my advice is to not get hung up on some sort of passion about your job, but rather, you know, something that works for you. I think that the narrative tells us that if you leave your first job within that first year, you've done something wrong. You've made a mistake. Right. You've chosen incorrectly. But like careers, they're not a straight line, right? You don't have to follow a linear path, right? Um, and so, you know, it's not failure. It's you tried something. It didn't work. Time to pivot and move on to something else, right? Yeah. And if I'm being completely honest about it, you know, the company that I, I went to, um, there's a high turnover rate because the pace is fast and the stress is high. So guess what? They always have roles available there. So that was one of the reasons I was hired there because, you know, they bring a lot of people in with no project management experience. I said, I have project management experience. I have a PMP, which you know they wanted to tell their clients, look, we have PMP certified project manager. So it was a great thing for the company and for me, but you know, it's great that I left as well because that was like, can we find people to do the job? Do they have the skill set to do the job? We'll train them and we'll push them through. And that works. And I left with a bigger toolkit. And now I work for a company that says, we're, we're starting a project management office here. We need you to help us do it. We're relying on your skill set. So rather than, can you do it? Okay, we're going to show you go. It's tell us about project management. How would you do this? And it is a great fit. And even though it was a really tough year, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything because it was a valuable stepping stone to where I am now. But leaving has been really positive for you, hasn't it? Like you financially, it's been better, like quality of life, it's been better. So things are better for you. And so I guess what I want everyone to hear is that if you're in that first job and it's not working, that doesn't mean you failed. And leaving that job is not is not a reflection on your character, your ability to make decisions. It's just that that position didn't work for you. No, I don't yeah. want you to do it once a month. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's okay to leave a position. It's okay to say, this isn't right. I want to go find something that does work. And so just keep that in mind. It's, it's not failure. It doesn't have to be linear. It doesn't mean that you made a mistake. It doesn't reflect poorly on you as an employee, as a person, right? It's just that the choice wasn't right for you at that time of your life. And with your the skill set you have, 
it might be okay to go somewhere else, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's the beauty of the private sector employment world is that you can make those changes. So I appreciate you sharing that story because I, I think it's important. Um, you know, we have listeners that are still in the military. We have listeners that are out and, you know, still trying to figure things out. Um, but I think everybody needs to hear that message that sometimes you have to make a change to move forward. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me. Uh, head over to our YouTube channel because Adam is going to be talking about really some of the biggest struggles he has faced in his first year and a half of civilian employment and, uh, and what surprises have come his way. But thank you so much for joining me on the show, Adam. My pleasure, Lori. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast. If you learned just one lesson today that you believe can help you in your military transition, then I've done my job. Our goal is to get in the ear of as many active duty service members as possible. So please don't keep this podcast a secret. Share it with as many of your active duty service member friends and transitioning veterans who may be struggling with that process as possible. Please subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and join us on our LinkedIn and Facebook communities to tell us what lesson you learned today.